the Sermon on the Mount. And so you would rightly want to say, why on earth is that man talking about Abraham? Well, I hope it will make sense. If we can, yep, we'll swap back to the Mac. Here is, I'm reading, we're going to read a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount, but kind of backwards. So we're going back a little bit. Here's what Matthew writes. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, in those days, salt wasn't as pure as what we'd have now. It would be a selection of things, and the more other stuff you put in salt, the less it, like salt it becomes. So the idea of salt that it's just got so dirty that it's not salty anymore is pretty common. How do you think Abraham's doing on the salty front at the moment? Yeah, maybe not so much. Okay, let's read the next verse. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, marks out of 10 for Abraham on the being light meter. Yeah, we're not hearing a very high thing there. Actually, he, isn't really, he didn't really lie. We do this. We do this when we're scared. We do this when just don't think it's going to work out for us. The trouble is, I think Abraham models how not to be a blessing. This is what he says in Genesis 20 about the place he's in. There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. And for those of you who think he's being pretty harsh here, in the chapter just before, that's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the idea of judgment and horrors is pretty big. Yep. But he says... There's no fear of God. They'll kill me because of my wife. And so then he does what we tend to do. He locates. I found this great quote. The standard human tendency is to declare that the earth is the Lord's, but to locate his favorite chair in my own backyard. He assumes that he's the one that has God. He's motivated by fear. He's powerless. And he's actually deceiving. And he thinks he knows what Abimelech is like. He's a godless bully. So actually, in terms of being faithful, how faithful is Abraham being? Not so much. And yet he's one of our Christian heroes. But remember, um, your faith isn't in me or any religious leader. Your faith gets placed in a God who is faithful. Cue the song. Faithful is the Lord our God. His love shines down, love shines down. Faithful is the Lord our God. Join with all the heavens, singing faithful is our God. So now in the story, the sh scene shifts to Abimelech. God comes to Abimelech in a dream one night and says to him, you're as good as dead because the woman you have taken, she is a married man, married woman. Sorry, that would have been another conversation. <laughs> now Abimelech had not gone near her 
So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? Didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clean conscience and clean hands. So is Abimelech a bully? No. Abraham thought he was a bully because Abraham thought, you have blessed me. You know, I'm the one that's blessed to be a blessing for everyone else. And these other guys, they must all be bad. But actually in this story, Abimelech is incredibly godly, more so than Abraham. And the net thing that happens, I think, is peacemaking, not peacekeeping. Let's be clear here. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to be peacemakers. That's different to peacekeepers. Peacekeepers is just, let's not make any waves. and, And often excludes justice. In actual fact, what Abraham did was kind of peacekeeping. Oh, I don't want there to be a fight about this. I'll just pass you off to my sister. Oh, okay, you can take her. He's keeping the peace. Abimelech comes and says, how could you? What made you think I was like this? And he gives Sarah back to Abraham and says, pray for me. Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Abraham was full of fear. He had blinkers on to say, these other guys, they must be bad. He tried to keep the peace. He didn't try and make peace. The peacemakers are the ones who seek to reconcile quarrels. They're not necessarily peacekeepers. There is real risk in conflict. Have you ever had that feeling when you've got a conflict with someone, a bit of a fight going on, you think, we need to talk about it, and you're going up to it and you think, this could just go really badly? Your heart's beating 100 miles an hour? Um, Maybe you never have that. I have that. Peace is not peace without justice. The Old Testament concept is that it's more. So there's this business of reconciling quarrels, and it's interesting to note that Paul says this is what Christ did. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Most of us aren't that comfortable with us. Most of us in a place of conflict, what we want to do is say, I'm in charge. If I ruled the world, it would be like this, so just pull your head in. That's how we operate. We know more about war, which is a way of seeking control, than we know about making peace. And you can't make peace if you do not understand the other person. And Abraham did not understand Abimelech. He thought he did. He had his blinkers on saying, godless um, bully. But when he listened, what he heard was something completely different. I read a great quote this week. It said, culture is like bad breath. You tend to notice it in other people. Nice quote, eh? We tend not to notice our own. (sighs) I'm all right. Um, (laughs) At least I think I am. If I'm not, tell me. Um, 
we tend to assume we know what other people are thinking. We tend to say, very often we have not made the time to listen. In fact, one of my observations is quite often in Christian circles, I've seen people talking past each other. Ever had that? They say something, the other person says something, you think, hang on, you're not hearing each other. This is, there's this so often, some of it because we're full of ourselves, some of it because like Abraham, we've got this emotion, this fear, and it triggers us. Well, I've got this line we've been using in Parklands that says, you don't build in the red zone. It's a, um, it's an earth, yes, it's a post-earthquake reference. Why don't you build in the red zone? Because the red zone is shifting sand. You can't be sure. And the red, by that red zone, we mean actually the place of conflict and emotion. In the red zone, that's the place where conflict is personal, where I think it's all about me, where emotions are huge and they're probably not that acknowledged. And we say, listen, all of us spend time there. We're all there some of the time, and that's fine. It's actually, you know, you want to be able to accept and acknowledge that, but you don't make decisions there. You don't build in the red zone because the red zone is unstable. And so we say, we've talked about on staff, that we try to work to make our decisions out of the blue zone, a place where you acknowledge emotion, a place where you look for more than just you, a place where... We're trying to listen to what is the voice of the Spirit saying, but paying attention to our own emotional triggers. I don't think it's necessarily an easy thing to do, but if we're called to be peacemakers, I think that's what's required. How would it have been if Moses had got together with Abimelech and said, How are you? What's go- who's God to you? If he actually started with a listening process, in the end it was Abimelech who did it. I've got this message, which is, we are going to be short, I promise. (laughs) It came because I'd been reading about Blessed are the Peacemakers, and I read the story of Abraham, and I thought of the many number of times I've been party to things where, where people haven't listened to the other. Um, Last year, Wendy Taylor um, spoke about Islam and was stunning um, because she had lived in a Muslim setting and she knew the people, and so she had connected in there, and it was lovely to hear that. Listening to someone in a very different place to you, genuinely listening, changes you. You start to become equipped to be a peacemaker. I list a couple. Um, I once sat with someone who changed, uh, actually an ex-pastor, who changed gender, and the person, they told me their story. Now, actually, I came away from that throwing, I've got a lot less answers than I'd like to have. I know what Scripture says. Well, actually, Scripture, I know some Scripture around this, but actually, there's a huge amount here I don't know. And I'm grateful to have listened. Not grateful in the fact that... I think sometimes we have to live without answers. I have sat and listened to Jewish people and Palestinians talk of the political situation in Israel-Palestine, and it makes me weep, and it made them weep. I've listened to Maori who have good and bad stories, and actually in places they've made me jealous of their strengths. Sometimes Abimelech may be a bully, 
And Jesus says, if you're persecuted for my sake, okay, that's part of the deal. We should expect that. That's what happens to Jesus. He doesn't get off scot-free. We're called to make peace, not just be happy, but to seek for peace and justice holding hands. I think I wanted to reflect and just say, I think sometimes in church we have acted like we have all the answers. No, we know Jesus. That's what we know. We're learning Jesus. We don't have all the answers. When Paul writes about love, it interests me that at the start he says, we see in part now, it's like we look, see through a glass darkly. We don't see the full picture. And then he writes about love, and I think that maybe in these places of difference, that's where love sits. So I wanted to pray. I wanted us to sing, Faithful is the Lord our God, and then um, Malcolm's going to lead us in communion. I've asked some people to serve, so is that good or bad? Yep, cool. Wasn't sure if you had. Um, we're going to take communion, and then uh, we've got us, I'd like, us a hymn to close with. The hymn is How Great Thou Art. But in the spirit of listening to others, we'll sing it in English and then we'll sing it in Maori as best as we can. Um, so can I pray? And then if Malcolm, you can come and take over. Um, forgive us, God, when we have been arrogantly convinced that we know all the answers and we know what those other people are like. Forgive us when we decide they are bullies and they are not, when we think they are godless and they are not. Place around us people who can hear people who we can hear and who can help us unmake our minds. Give us glimpses of the light and truth and loving relationships outside of where we expect them. Open our ears and our hearts to hear others, to love others. And then give us the courage to be peacemakers to take the risk to reconcile that your kingdom, your kingdom, not ours, will come on this earth. Amen. Last comment um, as Malcolm comes up. I personally think one of the reasons Jesus picked eating together as a marker is this is such a major way to connect with others, whether you agree or not.